Mr. McReynolds, for your time this afternoon. I realize you probably get these requests all the time and appreciate you taking the time out of your afternoon to spend with us. No, I'm glad you guys asked. Glad we can make it work. Glad we can make it work and pull it all together. Dominic, Noah, and I are all students at Benedictine College in Atchison, which is about 20 minutes northwest of Kansas City. We are all huge NASCAR fans and admired all you have done for the sport we all love by being the crew chief for the late Davey Allison and the intimidator Dale Earnhardt Sr. You you have truly had an historic career as a crew chief and continue to have one as a top-class broadcaster on TV and radio. We pulled together some questions for you specific to NASCAR, but before we get into those questions, I was hoping you could spend a little time providing us a background into how you got involved into NASCAR broadcasting. Yeah, it's uh it's a pretty interesting journey to say the least. You know, to your point, I spent, you know, over 20 years in the NASCAR garage area as a as a mechanic and a jackman and then eventually 1985 uh, as a crew chief for 85 through to 2000. And honestly, I, I never saw myself doing anything in the sport of NASCAR, but being a crew chief, working on race cars. I, I felt like that's what I would do probably to the day I die. But in 1985 or 1995, I, I got an opportunity to do some uh, work for Turner, uh, for for TBS and even did a couple of races for CBS and I I would do the analyst work it would maybe be on an off weekend we had a few more off weekends back then than the than NASCAR has now or maybe on a Saturday of a Cup race weekend you know before we would do our final practice session I'd maybe do an Xfinity series race or a truck series race I enjoyed it but I never saw myself actually doing it full time. And then at the end of 1999, uh, that's when the new TV contract was signed for 2001. Fox signed on as uh, the, the the broadcast rights for the first half of the season. Uh, NBC got the broadcast rights for the second half. It was a six-year deal for 2001 through 2006, but it was still over a year out. And I remember like it was yesterday, I was in the body shop at Richard Childress Racing we were trying to get ready to go test at Daytona. It was early, maybe early mid-December, and they paged me to the phone, and I went to the phone, and it was an Australian-speaking gentleman by the name of David Hill. He introduced himself as the chairman of Fox Sports. He said, as I'm sure you know, that we've got the broadcast right starting not in 2000, but 2001 for the first half of the NASCAR season. We've already hired Daryl Waltrip as our driver analyst. We've watched some tapes of things that you've done for other networks. And we would at least like to have an opportunity to have a conversation with you about becoming our crew chief analyst. And I didn't even know what to say. I was, I was totally caught off guard. And he said, you know, you don't have to give us an answer now. Let's get through the holidays. Let, let, let's let next year start coming about. And then we'll reach back out to you. We wanted to at least plant the seed. And they did. They reached back out to me in, um, I think it was March or April of 2000. They wanted to know if I would be interested in uh, doing a, a mock broadcast with Daryl Waltrip 
They were going to do it in a secluded place during the Xfinity Series race at Charlotte in May. And so actually it was DWI. It was not even Mike Joy. Rick Allen was the guy that we did the, the mock broadcast with. We only did about 50 laps and it, it felt good. It felt fun. Uh, and I've got to say it was one of the toughest decisions I've ever had to make. I involved my wife, Linda, my two kids. Then we have three now, but our youngest was so young men. She didn't really know what was going on. And uh, we made the decision as a family very scary decision, but I've got to say, you know, 24 years ago, we made that decision as a family and I've never looked back on it. All right. Next question. All right. So of, of all the races you've been a part of the broadcast or crew chief, there's, there's one specific race that you could point to that would you consider your favorite of all time and why? Well, obviously winning a NASCAR Cup Series race is, to me, one of the hardest thing to do in all of motorsports. And I've lot, had a lot of special moments as a crew chief, and I've had a lot of special moments broadcasting the, the NASCAR races for the last 23 years. But I would probably have to say um, winning two Daytona 500s, pretty special, something I'll remember and stays with me the rest of my life. I walk by that trophy case every single day with those two trophies sitting side by side. Of course, 1992, the 28 car and Davey Allison. And in 1998 with Dale Earnhardt, two guys that loved racing at Daytona. Uh, it was their only Daytona 500 win. And of course, they're not with us anymore because both of them have deceased. It would hard, be hard to say one of those is more special than the other. But I would say winning two Daytona 500s as a crew chief um, pretty darn special. If I had to pick a moment in broadcasting, I would say that spring Darlington race, I think it was like 2003, 2004, where Ricky Craven and Kurt Busch swapped the lead back on, on the last few laps back and forth. I don't know how many times. And of course, Ricky Craven barely beat Kurt Busch back to the line and they almost wrecked beyond the start finish line. If I had to say one in broadcasting, that that would probably be it. Yeah, that was incredible. I've seen it on YouTube and how he says, no, have I never. Like, what a moment. <laughs> DW sure gets fired up about that stuff. I love Oh, yeah, that. it was pretty exciting. Yeah. So were there any challenges you had to overcome when transitioning from a crew chief to a broadcaster? I've heard many drivers like Dale Jr. and even Clint Boyer talk about when they go to SRX or racing the Xfinity Series, they get that itch. They want to come back. I'm wondering that's ever happened to you or and if it has as a, and from the crew chief side of things has it i know you had a thing a couple of years ago with jeffrey earnhardt that was really special and i saw that race but you ever get that itch or feel like and how have you overcome it in terms of realizing what you're doing now versus wanting to come back and crew chief no that's a great question it's one i actually get asked a lot people go do you miss being a crew chief? And my answer is immediately, absolutely. If you know, if I didn't miss it, that means I probably wasted about 17 years of my life. Uh, but I love what I'm doing now. And honestly, the role that I play with Fox in the races, I feel like I'm actually crew chief for all 36, 37, 38 teams, uh, breaking down kind of what they're doing 
The good thing about that, though, I don't have to take the heat on Monday morning for a bad pit call that I made on Sunday. I could just analyze it and break it all down. But I was very honored last spring in 2022 to be asked to go to Talladega, of, of all places, my home track, with Richard Childress Racing, with the three car, and with an Earnhardt, actually Dale's grandson, Jeffrey Earnhardt, and to be able to go down there and sit on the pole and finish second, that just kind of added to the excitement. Uh, the hardest transition, though, from being a crew chief on pit road to making calls to the broadcast booth, a as a crew chief, I never needed anybody to tell me that was good or that was bad. You always had a measuring stick. You had stopwatches. You had practice results, qualifying results, race results. And of course, at the end of the year, you had where you finished in the points. So I never needed anybody to say that was good or that was bad. I, I had I had documentation right in front of me. But as a broadcaster, as an analyst, you don't have any measuring stick. Um, and and we don't get that much feedback on, on they liked it, they didn't like it, it was good, it was bad. Yeah, there's been times when there were things over 23 years they didn't like and they let us know about it. But even 23 years later, you kind of get a feel that was good. Uh, that maybe wasn't as good as the last one, but that's still to me, even 23 years later, been the hardest transition is just not having a measuring stick. All right, Dom, next question. Noah, you got this one. Okay. Um. So as a lot of NASCAR fans, you know, you've worked with the legendary Davey Allison and with Davey Allison, uh, what was one of your favorite moments or races you worked with him uh, during or watched him participate, and especially with it being the 75th anniversary season of NASCAR. And how would you describe Davey Allison to a newer, younger fan of the sport? Yeah, I mean, Davey was not only the driver that I worked with, and and when I made the move in 1991, <clears throat> excuse me, to Davey Allison, Robert Yates racing that 28 car, it was a career changer for me. It it, it put me on the NASCAR map. Yeah. With the 26 car and King Racing with with Ricky Rudd and then Brett Bodine, we won, you know, a race a year, but just never felt like we were a contender to win multiple races. Never felt like we were going to be a contender to win a championship. Uh, but going to Robert Yates Racing and Davy Allison, I felt immediately it was there. But my relationship with Davy Allison was was small as far as a driver crew chief. He was my best friend. Our, our wives were were great friends. Uh, we spent a lot of time together away from the racetrack. We even had our two sons baptized together. And my wife, Linda, and I are Robbie Allison's godparents. And Davey and Liz Allison are my son, Brandon's godparents. So when I lost him in that helicopter crash on July 13th, 1993, I lost my best friend. But if I could take Davey Allison... And, and duplicate him today and show him to young race car drivers, he is the role model. Yeah, he did a phenomenal job inside that race car. He had an exceptional talent. He understood a lot of things about that race car beyond just driving it, but he knew exactly how he needed to handle himself outside that, that race car. He understood the concept that the race fan is the reason we all have a job in NASCAR. And he treated everybody fairly. 
I never saw him decline an autograph unless, I mean, he was running to the race car trying to get ready to practice or something. He just totally understood the importance of, of race fans, of sponsorship obligation, and he would race you hard. He kind of reminds me a lot of Joey Logano. He will race you. He would race you as hard as you could be raced, but he had no problem with you racing him back hard. He would race you clean, but he wanted to be race clean. You know, he wasn't one of those drivers that has no problem racing you hard, but don't race me hard. Like we see a lot of drivers today, but just a genuine person, absolutely through and through. And there's not a day goes by that I, I don't miss him. As well as Davey, you also worked with the Intimidator and one of the more well-known transcendent superstar drivers in history, Dale Earnhardt Sr. In terms of Dale Sr., how would you describe the type of racer he was to somebody who was a newer fan and might have heard of him from like just like sports in general, but not have really embraced themselves into like the sport of NASCAR yet or a newer fan or might not have gotten the opportunity to watch him live? Yeah, there's probably nobody ran a race car any harder, 100% <clears throat> every single lap, whether it was practice, qualifying, or the race. You knew he was running that car for everything it had and probably even a little bit more than what it actually had. And for a new fan that's watching racing today, if you've got a problem – with somebody leaning on another driver, if you've got a problem with a driver that has no problem bumping another driver out of the way to win the race, or maybe just to go from fifth to fourth, you probably would not have enjoyed watching Dale Earnhardt. That man would spin his dad out, would spend his mom out if he thought it would make him up another position on that racetrack. And, you know, he, he didn't have a problem either if if you did it back to him. He'd, he'd let you know about it. I remember at Pocono, and I was not with him, but I remember at Pocono one year, this would have been in the late 90s. I, I'd already moved to the 31 car of Mike Skinner. Jeremy Mayfield bumped him out of the way in the final turn of the final lap to win the race. And Dale didn't have a problem with it. He did tell Jeremy, just remember, and he had that little smirk on his face. Just remember, we're going to have to race each other again. And it might might just happen back next week. So, you know, he, he was as hardcore racers come. But I think one reason he resonated with the fans back in the 80s and the 90s, I think fans looked at him as that blue-collar racer. He was the guy that worked on the farm Monday through Thursday and then went and drove a race car Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He was that blue-collar racer. I think he was a, a guy that everybody could relate to and went, you know what? I could sit down and have a beer with him and, and have a great conversation. He was just that kind of a guy. All right, Noah. Yeah, and I was, you know, we're just curious. What was it that allowed you to be part of two historic uh, drivers' careers, such as Dale Sr. and Davey Allison? Well, I I feel very blessed and very fortunate to to be a small part of both of their career. Uh, you know, Davey Allison had been courting me, for a lack of better words, probably for a year and a half, like in 1989 and a good part of 1990, 
to come over there and and try to help him with that 28 car. Uh, they were going through a lot of different crew chiefs. They just never could find anybody that would that would kind of give leadership like they needed and somebody that would work with Davey like he needed. And uh, when things just finally, I felt like that we were never going to be in position, as I said earlier, to win multiple races at the, at the 26 car or to maybe be a championship contender. And Davey came inquiring in very early 1991 I said, you know what? This is maybe the time for me to make this change. And then it was really just a, a, a hit of fate that I went to work with a three car starting in 1997 with Dale Earnhardt. I'd been with Robert Yates Racing for six years. We had been through a lot of, of turbulence, and I don't mean self-inflicted turbulence. You know, we had built that 28 car into a championship contender, and then July 13th, we lost Davey Allison in a, in a helicopter crash. Ernie Irvin started driving that car in the fall of 1993. We came out of the gates in 1994, winning races hand over fist, leading laps, sitting on poles, leading the points. And lo and behold, just when you think this is the year, we, he has a practice crash at Michigan in August of 1994. Not only ended his season and about ended his career and about ended his life. But we built it back. We came back in 1996 with him and won two races. But I guess in the fall of 1996, I was just mentally wore out. Between just continuing to, to walk back to the top of the ladder and then getting shoved back down. Again, nothing self-inflicted. And at the same time, I was kind of feeling this way. Richard Childress and Dale Earnhardt, we're starting to inquire uh, about would I be interested in coming to work for them. And yeah, I mean, any other year prior, I would have never left Robert Yates racing, but they just came at the right time. when I just felt like I was ready for a clean start. I was ready for a fresh, fresh, clean sheet of paper. And, uh, you know, we did not have that much success together. We won the 1998 Daytona 500, but it wasn't that we didn't get along. We just had different philosophies about about race cars, and it was pretty it was pretty dejecting that I could not win any more races with Dale Earnhardt, probably one of the greatest drivers ever to grip a steering wheel, than we were winning. And I think finally, halfway through 1998, Richard Childress recognized this. We had the two teams: the 31 team with Mike Skinner and the three team with Dale Earnhardt. And I think he said, "I got two good drivers." I've got two good crew chiefs. I think I just have them mixed and matched wrong. And he moved me to Mike Skinner and moved Kevin Hamlin to Dale. And immediately both race teams were better. And Dale and I were, were great friends. We, we were great friends up until unfortunately the 2001 Daytona 500 when he lost his life in that last lap crash. All right, Dominic. So, since it's the 75th anniversary of NASCAR, who would be the four drivers from each different era or decade would you put on your all-time NASCAR grades? Well, it's 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 probably pretty obvious. Uh, I would have to go, if you go to the, the 70s, you know, 60s, 70s, it would have to be the king, Richard Petty. Uh, if you move on to the... 80s 
even drifting into the 90s, it'd have to be the guy we've been talking about, Dale Earnhardt, and then another seven-time champion. And then if you moved into the 90s, early 2000s, I know he only won four championships. He didn't win seven, but he won 93 races, more crown jewel races than you can shake a stick at. He's third on the all-time win list with 93 wins, and that would be my former teammate with NASCAR on Fox, Jeff Gordon. And then, obviously, if you move into the 2000s, 2010s, it would have to be that other seven-time champion that won 83 races and, most notably, five championships in a row. I'd have to go with Jimmy Johnson. So I would say the three seven-time champions, Petty, Earnhardt, and Johnson, and then the guy that won four championships – and third on the all-time win list, Jeff Gordon. All right, Noah. Yeah, that takes us uh, to the present day. Um, we're a few races away from the playoffs starting, and uh, we're just wondering uh, what drivers you have your eye on that you think could surprise people before or even during the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been an interesting season. You know, we've got 22 races uh, we've had 12 different drivers win that are eligible for the playoffs. Obviously, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen won Chicago Street Course. He's not eligible. So we got four races, and we've got four spots that's available. You look at the drivers that's not won yet. I excluding Kurt Busch, I think we have nine drivers that won in 2022 that's not won this year so far. And I think most notably – is the 2020 champion, Chase Elliott, who won five races last year. He has been to the championship four for three consecutive years, and now because of missing seven races, he finds himself 40 points below the cut line. And I think it's going to be a challenge for him to get in. I just don't see him knocking on the door of winning. I mean, they're running consistent. They're clicking off top 10s, top 15s, but they're just not running well enough to, to go out there and, and just win races like they did last year. Uh, Brad Keselowski, he's not won this year, but he's sitting pretty far above the cut line. And I look at the way that, that Roush Fenway Keselowski racing is running right now. He and his teammate, Chris Busher, that just won the Richmond race this past weekend, they might could make a little noise in these playoffs. I know the Fords seem to be a little bit behind right now. They seem to be kind of searching. William Byron, if you'd asked me this a few weeks ago, I would have said he's the man, four wins, clicking top fives off, top tens left and right. But he's had three finishes, a 14th or worse over the last three races. But I tell you who might be laying in the weeds is a couple of those Joe Gibbs drivers, Martin Trex Jr. and Denny Hamlin. Uh, they seem to just be there week in and week out. And I really see the Toyota camp moving toward the forefront right now. So drivers I'm keeping an eye on for a couple of different reasons. Chase Elliott, can they get this ship righted and at least make the playoffs and go from there? Brad Keselowski, who's sitting on a, over a two-year winless streak that seems to really be making some hay right now. He and his teammate, both Chris Buescher, and then really keeping an eye on the Toyota in particular, those two drivers, Truex Jr. and Hamlin. 
All right. Well, before we let you go, we always like to ask professionals like yourself, do you have any advice for any young adults like ourselves that are working toward a career in sports management or or journalism or broadcasting in general? What are some of the key lessons you have learned over the years in that field that that we need to keep in mind as we begin our careers? Yeah, before I get too deep into that, let me let me start off by saying the number one key is a few words like passion, desire, determination, focus, concentration. Uh, and I think that's true in anything you're pursuing, even if it's not even ha has anything to do with, with motorsports in any capacity. And everybody's journey is different. You know, my journey was very different. Being from Birmingham, Alabama, barely having a high school diploma, and just kind of moving to the Carolinas in 1980 on a wing and a prayer. And it worked out. I just happened to be the right place at the right time on several different occasions. The journey probably today is much different. And I get asked a lot, how do I get into NASCAR? How can I become a driver? How can I become a mechanic? How can I become a crew chief? How can I become a broadcaster? And like I say, every path is different. And I wished... You know, I had a piece of paper with a blueprint on it said, here, follow all these guidelines and you'll be in. Unfortunately, that's not true. There's not a diploma you can go to any college and get that says, I am now a certified NASCAR Cup Series broadcaster. I am now a NASCAR certified crew chief. But what I do tell people, just build up your resume as much as you can put as much stuff in your portfolio as you possibly can. Don't be afraid to lower the bar in the beginning. It may be doing things that you don't make any money doing, but just build that portfolio, build that resume and don't give up. You know, my mom and dad, when I left Birmingham in September of 1980, I was an only child. They looked at me and said, this is the craziest thing we've ever seen anybody do. You'll be back in six months. You'll be broke. You'll be hungry. <clears throat> we'll feed you, but we're not going to bail you out of debt. And as much as I always respected my mom and dad, I said, you guys are probably spot on, but I got to go try it. Thank the good Lord. I didn't listen to my mom and dad. And I went and tried it. You're going to get a lot of closed doors. You're going to get a lot, a lot of doors that open and get closed right back. But if you want it bad enough, just don't give up on it because somewhere at some time, and I, I don't mean this to sound like a motivational speech, but somewhere sometime when you least expect it, that door open. And once you get your foot in, as long as you stay after it and don't start taking it for granted, you're probably going to be in pretty good shape. All right. Well, Mr. McReynolds, thank you again for spending a part of your afternoon with us discussing your career, your memories, and your thoughts on NASCAR. It's been great and wish you the best with the rest of this amazing season. Thank you and have a great day. Well, thank you guys again for having me. I always enjoy sharing my story. Uh, yeah, my schedule, even, even though NBC has the races right now, I, I feel like my, my schedule has eased up but I feel like I'm busier now. And that's the way it feels like every year, of course, we're still doing studio work for Fox and FS1. I, I do my uh, daily Sirius XM NASCAR radio show on Channel 90, uh, on track with Danielle Trotta. I do that five days a week, but I'm glad we could 
carve out a little time. And I always say, if there's anything that I say, especially that a, a young man or, or lady hears that motivates them to pursue their, their dream, their goal, then you know what? It's worth every minute of doing it. All right. Yeah. Thank you. That's thank the thing so that much. we thank you so much for is the time that you carve out for this. Well, appreciate you guys very much. Good luck on everything. Thank All you. Right. Thank you.